he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Bellatify, the one and only podcast about events, entertainment, and engagement. I'm Anthony Bellata. I'm here every week as I am asking you to like and subscribe and download. And I'm here every week as I am with Alex Apostolides, my one and only. What's up? Hello. I don't have much voice, so bear with me. Yeah, you haven't been feeling well. No. No, Ugh, I'm so sorry to hear yes, that. Right. It, you know, hey, I am so blessed that I went made it almost three years without catching this dreaded thing. So I am counting my lucky stars, chickens, eggs, whatever. I'm Keep good counting. Keep I'm counting. counting. Good, I'm counting good. all the way silently and, most of the time. And you're vaccinated. So uh, <laughs> I am vaccinated. Yes. Vaccinated. Good, good, good. <laughs> Okay, so it's not as bad as it could have been. Yes, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Well, I hope you can uh, manage to get through this conversation today because it should be a doozy. Tell, oh, us yeah. who we, tell us who we have with us. Well, he's quite impressive, I have to tell you. Um, our guest today formed his very first band at the tender age of 16 and was opening for artists like Ario Speedwagon and Julian Lennon. Oh, my God, by 18th. So answering a cryptic ad in the reader, I thought this was kind of fascinating. He began his dueling pianos career about 21 years ago, I believe, something like that, starting what is now known as the Shout House. And he's performed all over the country, including a full-time stint in Chicago and then L.A. for the chain of piano bars called Howl at the Moon. Such a great name where he became the entertainment director for both locations, kind of independently of each other. He's toured with 80s legend Missing Persons and the acclaimed Pink Floyd tribute band and performed in the award-winning Rating the Rock Vault Show in Vegas. He is a resilient performer. Both Vegas Pianos and Big City Sing-Along were formed after some life-altering experiences. So please welcome the very talented and oh-so-sweet Kevin Crone. Hi, everybody. Hey, Kevin. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. After years and years and years talking to you on the phone and trying to work together on gigs, it's really nice to have a one-on-one -on -one with you, a real one-on-one. Yes. -on -one. I feel the same way. I'm so I'm so pleased. I, and you don't look anything like I imagined. Really? No. So, I don't know what I imagined. But it just, <laughs> I mean, what? you're male, so I got that part right. So, but. Oh, it goes with the voice, I'm, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> it would have been quite a shock if I wasn't, I'm sure. Well, I, I could have been looking at B. Arthur right now. I mean, you, know. you could be. That's right. <laughs> that, that would be me today with this voice. <laughs> Speaking about B. Arthur, we start this show as, uh, with a with what we call our 10 quick questions. 10 wow, quick okay. questions. Ready to go? Absolutely. Your favorite singer, Kevin? Steve Walsh from Kansas. What's one activity you lose track of time doing? Playing music. 
And what's the one thing you wish you could stop doing? Um, <laughs> playing in smoky casinos. <laughs> yes. Do you cry? Every once in a while, I do. Yeah. What is your favorite Broadway show? Oh my, you know, I've never uh, gotten to see an actual show on Broadway. Oh, wait. <gasps> yeah, no, I, the, but the closest I came was I got to see Moving Out but when it was uh, uh, being developed in Chicago. Wow. So just before it went to Broadway, so that would be the one. Wow, that, you know what? Uh, that's a show that I don't think people mention very often. No. Wow, good one, very good one. Uh, how long do you take in the shower, Kevin? About, uh, well, if I'm just taking a shower, because I shave in the shower when I'm shaving, but if I'm just taking a shower, it's about 10 to 15 minutes shaving, and that's another 15 minutes. 15 minutes to shave? Well, I got, I got two, I got the head and the face. It's a very large. It's a big canvas. It's a big you, canvas. Yeah, there you, you guys go. are so lucky. If you, if you, trust me, if you were a woman, you wouldn't be going 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, have you ever skinny dipped in the ocean? Yes. Nice. What takeout food do you order most? Mm, uh, vegan sushi. What's the item on your to-do list that you never get to? Mm, um, releasing my own original music. Mm. And lastly, Ooh. what's the first letter of your favorite curse word? <laughs> uh, wow. Um, I think it's probably a C. Um, I won't go into it for any further than that. No, I don't think you have to, actually. <laughs> but I will say that you are the first departure from the letter yes. F that we've had. Well, usually mine, it becomes a hyphen of CF. So, you know, this or some, yeah, or or the other way around. But I, it's usually not a pejorative. It's more of like uh, in the British sense of how they use that word. All right. So we'll have to have a uh, a reprise or uh, we'll have to have you back just to discuss that because I am <laughs> curious as all get out what that could possibly be. Do you have an idea, Alex? I do. And if it's what I'm thinking, well, no, it could be one of two things. If it's what I'm thinking, one day I want to have a podcast solely around that word. I've already got a, a title for it and everything. All right. More to come on that. <laughs> We're going to leave that alone for right now. Though. Yes. I really don't I think anybody wants to hear about it. <laughs> no. You really have had quite a career. And as Alex mentioned in your intro, you've also been hit with some um, incredible life-altering experiences and not incredible in a good way necessarily. Right. Um, right. Uh, so let's, let's just sort of start, um, start at the beginning. Sure. You know, with all of the craziness that you've gone through, um, how is it that you continue to stay positive and move forward and uh, not let, uh, you know, all of the pressures and, and issues that you faced uh, get you down? Uh, yeah, it's a fair question. I mean, uh, in general, I would say the the quality that keeps me going overall through it all, the through line is stubbornness, just sheer stubbornness. <laughs> Nobody who knows me would be surprised by that answer. But <laughs> the, but but the the rest of it, you know, there. I will say, um, 
you know, there were long, there was, other than being an emo 15 year old and that, what that is all about, you know, angsty uh, teenage years, that kind of stuff. Um, I went a nice long time uh, feeling pretty invulnerable to the mental and emotional health issues that I was seeing in my family um, who were suffering terribly from depression and anxiety issues and stuff. I thought I was pretty much immune through sheer force of um, optimism and will. I didn't allow myself the luxury of, you know, quote unquote, uh, feeling down or whatever. But, uh, you know, when things like global pandemics happen, you come to realize that it doesn't matter <laughs> what you think you're made of, you know, when everything that you've worked for your entire life suddenly goes up in, in smoke and literally, for me, it was literally overnight. Um, that's how quickly the, the impacts were. Like one week, one weekend, I had just come back from Vegas, just come back from uh, performing locally at my monthly uh, showcase that I had in town that was going on its fourth year and going strong and sold out shows and everything literally the, by the next weekend was gone and done. And neither of those things ever came back for me. So it was a pretty tough couple of years there. And so I found that in every one of the things that you're talking about of the challenges that I've been through, there, there's been a, definitely a period after where, uh, you know, I really had to, I was questioning, you know, I was questioning a lot of things like, you know, the, the normal stuff like fairness and what, you know, why is life inherently so unfair to some people and, and, uh, and, you know, why do certain people live? Why do certain people die? Why do certain, uh, you know, the whole, why do good, uh, bad things happen to good people thing? And I couldn't, I, I, there aren't really clear answers to be found. And you can try to read books about it. And you can try to talk to, you know, people about it and you'll get a lot of different sort of uh, viewpoints and insights and even, you know, things like um, affirmations and platitudes and all kinds of things mixed in, all very well-intentioned. But until you dig deeply enough in yourself to realize that the, if the, you know, you really, nobody's forcing you to go on, you know, nobody's holding a gun to your head and saying, you know, persevere, you know, it's, it's, it has to be self-determined. And so ultimately I keep coming back to, you know, I, I, but now I'm much better at reaching out for help and tools and things like whatever it is, you know, talking to someone or uh, I've been open to, you know, trying new things like uh, I don't take antidepressants, but there was a natural compound called canna that is totally mm -hmm. legal. And it's like a, basically a vitamin. It's been around for 2000 years. Nobody takes it. Nobody does anything about it. Sounds a lot like cannabis, which it is not. It's canna with a K, but things like that. We like, you know, just try it. Let's see what happens. And wow, suddenly this readily available, very cheap legal substance is making me feel like things are going to be okay. And, you know, uh, stabilizing, you know, it's important to stay active and be fit and eat well. And it's kind of a very multidisciplinary approach, but there were a lot of, I'm not going to lie, there were a lot of dark days. And, and uh, especially when you start questioning why, the, the, the question why is so incredibly you know, a deep a rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. And, that, and that's where you lose some momentum there is when you start getting caught up in the why of everything. You know, when you start to overthink, why must any, one thing be it's you know you can parse maybe how one thing would be a certain way but when you start to try to parse literally the fabric of the meaning of all of existence it bogs you down <laughs> right yes right what yes. the, the question why is a, is a rabbit hole it is but, but i have to ask d does it get any easier it, it's getting easier to stop asking why Yes, there you go. <laughs> that's, that's the only choice you have, it seems, right? That's it. That's it. Because you know, you know, um, you know yeah. Uh, overall, I think anything in life is sort of um, a trial by fire thing, but also uh, learn as you go, right? So if you don't get it right one day, and then you go to bed that night feeling, you know, my 
tendency is to sort of beat myself up for the things I didn't accomplish that day. Mm-hmm. But I'm starting to come around to this idea of like, well, then there, you know, if I'm lucky enough to open my eyes tomorrow, then that's another chance at it. You know, I don't have to be, it doesn't have to be do or die every single minute of every day, even though there's a lot to be done, you know, not just in our daily lives, which are all so busy, but I mean, in the world around us, I think we're seeing a real need for people to rise to the call of making the world a better place. And and I feel, you know, I've done a lot of activism in my day and I, I would like it to be for things that matter and are the things that unify us, not the kinds of things that are divisive that I maybe used to dabble in before standing, you know, when you stand on street corners and wag your finger at people, that's not a good idea. So uh, I'm trying to kind of reinvigorate my activism in the world, but more in the form of uh, trying to heal the world through music and arts and things like that. I love it. You know, when I was in college, I, um, I was quoted as telling somebody adapt baby. This is what the world is about. So I wonder um, how much do you think the world is about adapting to situations and accepting situations as being what they are. Do you think that helps to stay positive and, and uh, upbeat the idea of staying accepting, being accepting of what comes your way? Yeah, so that's a really interesting way that you asked that question. So yes, fundamentally, I agree with the last part of what you said, which is that, uh, that in in being kind of more malleable and adaptable and resilient, this is inspiring and it helps uplift. But then, you know, I think we did see some pretty extreme breaking down of, uh, you know, it wasn't across the board that humanity showed its finest face in in, in this last crisis. You know, I think mm-hmm. we really saw some yeah. uh, some falling down in that area. I mean, if this was a test for what's to come, because, and I don't want to be, you know, this is supposed to be an entertainment podcast after all, but I I do think that this is not the last that we'll see of this type of event. And I would, and I am seeing, you know, success stories, but I did see some things that really upset and disturbed me in terms of the, um, the disintegration of kind of what you're talking about it it wasn't always a case of people being resilient it was often a case of of people uh trying to bury their heads in the sand or argue the way out of science somehow and and um yeah it's been interesting time for for being tested of what you're talking about of feeling that positivity because you know the world doesn't always mirror the version of it that we wish it did I just want to I don't know if you've seen this I saw a really interesting movie last night it was a comedy but it kind of speaks into what you're talking about called super intelligence. So if you haven't seen it, (laughs) I, it was delightful, but it was really a a wonderful take on humanity. Yeah. And, and, and the simplest things that make us human and our vulnerability and our unpredictability and what makes us unique and loving and amazing and our capacity for those things. I that's yeah you're right and I it was an adorable movie and yes the human this is what makes me in my view an optimist and a humanist is that I truly believe in human potential and I'm sure there is something already called the human potentialist movement or something like that because you know anything you think of has already been thought of 50 yeah. times but if I were to <laughs> if, if I were if I were if I were to think of something if I were to join a club tomorrow it'd be the human potentialist movement you know you know, a new one, new chapter, West Coast edition. Um, and, West Coast uh, edition. you know, it would just be because be, I really do. I mean, I re- I'm in love with, you know, you, it, when you look at things great and small, I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. I marvel at things like safety pins, 
<laughs> you know, in terms of the inventiveness of man, it, it right. almost knows yeah. no bounds. Like it goes from the great to the small, the most complicated machines, of course, that are you know life sustaining and changing all the way down to the most humble that you know change civilization as we know it. So I, I I'm all for it. I I just I you know, maybe uh, sometimes I'm a little too sensitive to the uh to the elements of society that are um unmoved. They're unmoved by the beauty. Mm-hmm. And on and on and they don't and they don't hear the call, they don't hear that call for themselves, and I feel sorrow for that. So, and, and what role does music play in that? Well, I, I there's a, you know there's a gentleman that I've uh, known for many years now who does a lot of organizing of a lot of bands from a lot of countries, and his motto is music is the bond, and I haven't come up with a better way to say it. I think that's pretty pretty deep. You know that really does speak to. You know, because it, it, it does that. It, it, it crosses uh, divides, it crosses socioeconomic, socioeconomic barriers and, and cultural differences and, you know, um, it defies geography. And now, especially in the time of zeros and ones, it, is, it won't be stopped. It is, it is a free-flowing faucet of ideas that literally can cover the earth from any one corner, anywhere that they've got electricity and, you know, internet connection to the opposite corner where there's some you know, child, you know, kind of hunched over a computer in the way that kids used to sit around mm-hmm. a radio or, or whatever, you know, and. Um, is it as healing as it used to be music to, in your estimation? No, please. Answer, not, yeah. oh, I, I don't mean, to I was just going to say in the, in the popular, in the mainstream, I don't think so. To me, it mm-hmm. seems like, you know, and, you know, I know this happens a lot has happened many times already. And, you know, I, I do think music is cyclical. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of commercial music, especially, but like, you know, I think we saw it in the 50s, I think we saw it again in the 70s, and mm-hmm. to a certain extent in the 80s, and then again in the 2000s, early 2000s, is, is that music seems to be cycling harder and deeper into this more of like uh, music as um, almost like a numbing agent or, or distraction, not something like a platform to inform, like you don't hear any sort of like uh, uh you know, um, protest You're not hearing that earnestness. You're no. not hearing that attempt to convey or or convince. You know, and I think that's the one thing that is a little bit uh, tragic is is that for a minute there, it really did seem like music could change the world just you know full stop by itself, and it has many 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 times. Mm-hmm. But, but now it's really where you said Bob Dylan. Is, I'm not going to pick on the guy because I understand it. But like, here's a guy who you know was all about that that uh, culture of uh, you know uh, hitchhiking his way down the road with the guitar case and a knapsack and then you know playing for change and now here he is selling his catalog for 500 million dollars for licensing to for commercial enterprises because you can't make money selling records and he doesn't want to tour for incessantly for the rest of his life which is the right. only other way to make money so to make money while people even still remember who bob dylan is he's got to sell his stuff so they can be used to sell then you know like presumably whatever they want to sell with it and so that's a really interesting transformation even within somebody who started with the music will save the world thing to, right. to now it's like music will sell the world is kind of where we're at it's almost like an every man out for himself kind of uh, uh approach if you will there isn't i i feel the same thing there isn't any music being written that's specifically written to unite us or make us feel better about what's going on or help us to see things in a different way, in a different light. Um, and it feels as though music- musicians have retreated from that kind of, of writing. Uh, 
Do you agree? Disagree? I, I agree. And listen, as a songwriter myself, I can tell you one of the, the discouraging aspects about it is like, you really only have a couple of roads. I mean, you know, obviously arts are infinite and there's a lot of kind of ways you can express, you could be cryptic and, you know, people be like, what are you even talking about? And then, ex and then explain yourself, you know, right. You can do it that way. But if you're being explicit with your message, then you've got two roads. You've got either the up with people kind of thing, like let's all, you know, like you know, put your <laughs> put your arms around each other. Like, Come on, wave nothing's like, wrong. Nothing's wrong at all. Let's just right. Do it. Like it's like everything. Um, like toxic that. positivity. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. Which I think is is the same kind of sort of not to pick on Disney. I love them, but like that Disney wrapped in a bow, happy ending nonsense that is just not reflective of how the world works, and uh, that hallmark mentality and. Um, and then you've got the other option, which is which is the road I was on for a while, which is like music as activism itself. And so you're kind of putting your message quite forcefully in the music. And then, you know, you'll play it for someone and, and, and they'll have loved 20 things that you've done with bands that are, you know, fun and frothy. But the second you put a sort of a, re, a fairly real, very personal sort of like, you know, translate a personal experience into song and then try to put that forward as something to maybe other people to consider like don't do as i say or anything but just like, listen to what i'm saying and like think about it for yourself does this apply and give that some thought and then to be told like that sounds kind of preachy man like really the the idea of you, of you you should rise up and live your life and take full command of your own life that sounds preachy, preachy? <laughs> all right, I don't, all right. <laughs> do you do you think that some of that is due to uh the halting of those ideas by uh, music executives, uh, uh, consultants, people that just don't think it will sell. And so it's halted for that reason. That's been the case for um, a million bands we never heard, a million artists we never heard of, and a million songs we never listened to. I think that's definitely true. I think now with the diminishing influence of the specifically record labels, I think that we're slaves to algorithms, which is not that different from what you're talking about, but it's a little bit insidiously um, more um, suppressive because now instead of, uh, you know, there were there was a time when even a record label there and throughout history, many instances where like somebody took a chance. You know what I mean? Despite despite what you're talking about, despite being, right. you know, bean counters and slaves to the bottom line, somebody somewhere was like, ah, we got enough money to like, you know, right. a couple of million to these guys to see what they got. Well, an algorithm will not do that. You know, you hit that thumbs mm -hmm. down enough times and you will never see those bands. They will never come your way. You'll never give them even that one second of a chance that right. they might have gotten in the wild. So I think it's even much worse than it's ever been. And um, and then you've got the what amounts to uh, it was a staggering figure of how many artists are posted every day. It's literally tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. It sounds like what you're saying to me. Sorry, I have to I have to ask the question that machine learning is almost uh, represents the end of of original music. Uh, <laughs> well, no. We're not making decisions anymore. I feel like it's coming to that where you know the human element is just going to be pulled out of everything. <laughs> well, the scariest example of that that backs up your theory is is that my that is our our uh, teenage son is well he's um, no now he's twenty he's turned twenty. Where does the time go? So his, he's at San Diego State in his uh, com, um, um, computer sciences program, and one one day in, early on in the pandemic when they were doing a lot of side 
stuff. Everybody had way too much time on their hands, so they're doing kind of like dabbling in every aspect of the computer. Um, they found he stumbled upon this open-ended um, AI project that pertains to the DNA, the the music genome, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so this AI freaked me out because. <laughs> Okay, so the AI worked one of two very terrifying ways. One was you could either feed into it just straight up band names of your favorite kind of bands or even just one band, let's say the Beatles, and it would analyze their song quarterly, lyrically, structurally. And then it would spit out using AI a completely new composition using their words and their musical DNA blenderized and spat back out into a completely new Beatles sounding song. It was totally terrifying. And then the other thing is that you can actually feed in just words or concepts and it'll generate music on its own. So that effectively makes the computer, what you said, the songwriter, the de facto songwriter. So that was really, really weird stuff. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. This is literally just the beginning of this technology. So, and when it comes to computers in general, and again, you know, this is an entertainment show. We've got to keep it light, baby. But, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I just, re- I was at the, I was, you know, killing time, uh, you know, living by my principles of, of supporting the arts. I was killing time after pulling two all-nighters just to get after my gig in San Diego on Saturday to get to Denver to watch my friend achieve his dream of touring with a globally famous band in Denver on Sunday. So I, I had time to kill. I was reading, uh, music still matters to some people, just not you know enough. Um, uh, I was reading about how computers, now that we've kind of uncorked that AI genie out of the bottle thing, the glitters on the carpet, you know what I mean? We might have, that might, it, it, you know, the Terminator and, and Matrix, those are obviously very kind of dystopian versions of how we come to our end, but it might be very quiet, actually. It might just be, you know, computers just doing everything for us till we come more like the Wally thing, until we don't know how to do any of those things for ourselves. Right. At oh, all. it's absolutely coming. It's totally it's... happening. We can't even, you know, right. <laughs> so, yeah. But, but well, it's, Oh, go ahead. Just a quick, will, will machine composed music have the same impact that human composed music has? Can a machine written song get to the heart of a human? I would only ask you, because I don't have a defend I don't I would hate to come down the wrong side of history and say never and then have <laughs> and then have it happen right and me look like an idiot. But well, so many only- others have. <laughs> <laughs> I would ask you only this: like, has a has a Pixar generated image ever made you cry? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, and then also, and this is a little bit different, but so the, purposely, if you've never heard of the Uncanny Valley con- uh, concept in animation, purposefully they have to dumb down the existing level of technology that they do have for animation. It's getting different now with the deep fake thing, now that you're seeing right. it, sort of that line go away. But in terms of commercial animation, when they did the movie Monsters, Inc., specifically, they had at that, that was quite a while ago, 20 some odd years ago, mm-hmm. they at that time had the technology for completely photorealistic human computer rendering. And they rendered the child of the protagonist, child of the story in this totally photorealistic way. And when they screened the movie for people, the parents, the parents in the audience freaked out because even though they knew in their head that it was supposed to be a computerized child, they were at a fundamental level reacting to this, what seemed to be a human child in danger. 
And then as soon as they dumbed it down with enough pixels and made it look like a cartoon and made her eyes bigger and bigger and more like, eh, then they all of a sudden, boom, they were like, oh, this is adorable. This is hilarious. Like they were no longer alarmed or scared. So would that happen with music? I think that is possible. I think that if, uh, uh, you know, there's only so many combinations of the 12 notes in the Western tonal scale. And then there's, of course, many more in, in other sorts of music. But in terms of what we listen to on a steady basis, it's those 12 notes reinterpreted a bunch of different ways. And I do think that if a computer got it right, if, you know, because all a computer's doing is what the entire human race is doing. We're twisting the biological supercomputer Rubik's Cube every which way we can just by our mere expression and existence. Well, if a computer can do it that much faster. So if it's just going through all the computations until it finally hits on one that works, and then suddenly it uses AI also to like, you know, in the way that Siri and, uh, and what's the other one? Um, Alexa. Right. Are listening to your conversations and can actually like pop stuff up in your feed because you just had a conversation with somebody mm -hmm. about something. I think that that could happen. You're listening and all of a sudden this thing has been tracking, you know, everything's analytics now. So everything, all, all of your activities being tracked. So if that was like, you must give it permission to follow your, and then you do, suddenly it's writing songs that are like, have your name in it or are about sub subjects that you care about specifically. I mean, that's where an artist is, could, you know, could never, unless you are hiring someone on a service to write you songs every morning, you know, but to have a computer actually generate, like based on your mood, you, you could even go play something soothing. And it knows not just to play something from the new age category, but rather something that is so specifically geared towards what soothes you. How could a human artist ever compete with that level of customization? So it's an interesting moment because ultimately I, I think it, it, the answer is yes and no, right? So I think the answer is yes, it could create music that might in some instances replace a human equivalent. And then there will always be the songwriter that creates something that you know a machine might stumble upon by accident, but most likely is the result of really deep reflection or a really deep connection to a very uh, universal uh, experience or feeling. Right. And I don't think a machine could capture that. So you as an artist, I, I'm asking this because, you know, now we have computer generated voiceover, right? A voiceover artist can tell the difference a mile away. Right. I've known people who go, oh my gosh, that sounds real. No, it doesn't. No, but I'm a voiceover artist. Anthony's a, right. We can tell the difference. So you as a songwriter, you probably have the ability to tell the difference. Whereas the masses who they're not, music they're not composers musicians can't i think you're right i think the average consumer will have no more of an idea about that than then it has slowed people roll who, you know, even though there's been this booming movement for fine wine, that certainly hasn't slowed two buck chuck sales much. Right. <laughs> but, 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 but the thing about the music business is that there's always somebody looking to create a new kind of sound. And when somebody does create a new kind of sound, that's what generally takes off and moves audiences for decades. It's true. So it's true. It, in your estimation, is that possible with machine written music? Should that ever, you know, be what comes our way? Is is it possible for a machine to write something completely new that hasn't been experienced before? I mean, I would say that, that, that it's happened. I mean, there, there was some sort of a, a, a an AI that they had straight up, you know, writing 
uh, its own, um, well, maybe, was it, I'm not sure if it was a song, maybe it was a movie, because it was generating its own movie script, you know, and this included human concepts and emotions, you, like, you just wouldn't expect, you know, even if you put all of those sort of terms together in a blender and put them into the machine code, it, you, you can see this thing is actually thinking. And so that's, that's where it's changing, you know, like it used to be, you, you know, you had things like, um, like a drum machine doesn't sound like a drummer. Right. But but it's but they had one now, you know, back in the day, they did certainly didn't because there were little recordings of little pieces of a drummer mm -hmm. that you strung together to, you know, in time that sort of loosely approximated what a drummer is doing. But it doesn't actually sound like a drummer because they're articulating like the drummer. There's not the sonic bleed over of the instruments mm -hmm. with each other. There's not the interplay. Well, they've they through algorithms and trial and error and a lot of really clever, you know, computer trickery, they've come really, really close to where you're pretty hard pressed, you know, to, to go, you know, or they'll straight up use a real drummer to record very large sections of songs now, and you're stringing those together. So in effect, you are hearing a drummer. It's not anymore just electronically generated. So could this principle be extrapolated out and applied to all of the instruments and even the voice? I think so. I think we're getting there. You know, I think it'd be really, to me, it's going to be absolutely terrifying, but it can be very interesting to me when a, a computer under its own autonomy actually sets out to sing a song, what is it going to say? Right. And then wins a Grammy for it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. No. I had, I had to go there. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's the, that's uh, the, the end of the human race. It is. It's the undoing of all things. I mean, it's the undoing of why are, why are we needed anymore? If things can be created spontaneously without us, then what? You know, we're supposed to be the creators, right? So, right. It's a, yeah, it's a really interesting, fascinating time. And I think it's utterly amazing that in our lifetime, we've gone from these, in, you know, just in the time that we've been on the earth you know, the technology of the very beginning of music was a little bit before our time, but, we, but we're certainly well aware of it, the history of the radio and the Victrolas and the, the, all the way up through. And then everybody was, I just remember the entire world collectively freaking out over cassettes. <laughs> right. You, you know, and that being such a big deal, it was a big deal for me. It ch definitely changed my life with music entirely because, you know, how portable is a record player? Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly and so that's right there actually that I, I i kind of attribute that principle the the mm -hmm. difference between and it was television too right television it, it, there were, you couldn't record anything so it was all the family gathers around the tv at this time on this day for this thing we have no equivalent of that anymore Mm. it's basically no, we don't. all no. on demand everything yeah, is on demand. everything on demand and so with that with that being the case like let's just say for sake of argument you're a big ed sheeran fan and he has just taken way too darn long in between records for you but you cannot listen to the ed sheeran songs you already have anymore so you have some friendly ed sheeran bot generate you some ed sheeran-esque music to tide you over it doesn't have to be totally replace ed sheeran but even that alone is mind boggling. You know? Yes, it is. Or, or, and this is, this is already happening. So the, the, we were talking about animation and, uh, and uh, deep fakes. So in the terms of deep fakes, there was a discussion for a very long time of creating these deep fake uh, generated, uh, uh, basically taking a celebrity like a Marilyn Monroe or someone who's in the public, 
domain almost already by now, like a John Wayne or whatever, or like, a, you know, like a Abbott and Costello and using deep fakes and paying licensing fees to the entities that own those properties, those IPs, and then generating completely original content using, you know, simulations of their voices and everything down to such granular detail that you'd be hard pressed to know that you weren't watching the real thing. That's mm. mind boggling. I mean, it, on the, on the, on the consumer end of that, that's, in, that's amazing. And then on the creator end, it's a nightmare. So it's a nightmare, really, right. it's a really weird moment. You know, we're seeing, we're seeing what happens when you, I mean, this must've been like, I don't know what horse and buggy manufacturers were thinking all of a sudden, you know, they were just like, <laughs> Oh damn. You know, like, <laughs> So now <laughs> when your kid asks you or what, you know, what is it? Or somebody asked that question, what do you hope for when you're 98? Your answer is to be um, deep faked someday, <laughs> to be the person people wanted to <laughs> go on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> I mean, as long as your family's getting a little bit taste of the action, I think that's okay. I mean, <laughs> but there's, but there's a, there's, a, it is sort of an immortality, right? That's like, that's almost like creating in a type of immortality, which is something that a lot of people do crave. And I can understand that. And an artist in particular, most artists are trying to, you know, um, become the heroes that influence them or, or surpass them. So that would be maybe an attractive thing for me personally. I think, I don't know, that creeps me out quite a lot. Me too. <laughs> me too. Well, you know, it, it takes the uniqueness of us away as well, because there's only one Kevin Crow. There's only one Anthony Bellotta. There's only one Alex supposed to lead these. Nobody can bring to the table what we individually can bring. So I that taking stripping us away of that individuality by copying is is terrifying to me, quite honestly. Yeah. And you know, you brought you brought uh, um, something up earlier when I asked about machine learning. You you talked about uh, Pixar, and you asked me about you know whether a Pixar character could make me cry, and I said yes. But I still think that the main difference there is that there is a human being behind the machine creating the character that makes us cry. And I can't help but wonder, is it a desensitizing of the human race by, you know, thinking that machines are going to be able to write soulful songs or write songs that touch the heart or write cartoons that touch the heart i just can't get there in my mind it doesn't seem possible without the human being behind it as an artist i pray that you're correct because then we'll all have jobs forever but but if they ever do crack it it it, it certainly won't be because it's a terribly difficult formula unfortunately because of exactly what we've been talking about which is that the complexity of the themes of the entertainment that we're consuming. Mm -hmm. Music in particular, they did a, a several studies, it's easily Googleable and, and, and verifiable. They've done several studies analyzing, again, this is sort of the musical genome and, and also lyrical content, chordal, harmonic, and lyrical content of music over the last you know 100 years or whatever. And they've just determined that in no uncertain terms, music is getting stupider, mm -hmm. less, less harmonic complexity, less lyrical complexity and less chordal information. So even if they are interesting chords, there's less of them. Yes. There's, there's three or four yeah. tops and or that's, five. Yeah, yeah. That's what makes a pop song, to be quite honest with you. A simple lyric, an acceptable or, melody. Or a commercial or, or these other applications of music, right? Right, so, right. Right, right. So, so now Gone then is a lot of the sort of... Um, 
And unlike before in the seventies, you know, yeah. Okay. So they were releasing like whatever seventies pop song you could name, but then alongside that, they were giving bands like yes. And Genesis, the opportunity to write concept albums. Right. Well, where's that happening? Now that burden is shifted entirely to the artist. If you're that kind of an artist, you are on your own. Basically only if you already have friends in high places, can you then parlay that on uh, into something like a, European distribution deal or whatever. Right. But as far as far as getting in this market, you know, you you either play the game of the now the algorithm dictated game. You either play that game or you or you don't, and and you're on your own. And and you know, back in the day, it was all about if you're going to be that indie. Uh, I remember the rise of the indie artist, and in mm-hmm. particular, the, the one that I was so inspired by, so impressed with, was Anita Franco because she used to play a gig solo you know go go from town to town to town driving herself from solo show to solo show selling her cds and t-shirts out of her trunk after the show meeting fans talking to people selling her merch and in this way built you know she's not she's not uh jay-z right she didn't right. build she didn't build a uh, she's not a media mogul she's not she, you know but she is a success story as much as she very much lived a career on her own terms and she built a career out of complete thin air um you know that's really 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 hard to do what she did is like the odds are so stacked against that working even then. And she did it, but like now it's almost impossible because the trunk of your car is the internet and there's 10 billion cars in the lot. Right. You know, there's 10 billion well, open trunks, right, you know, right. it's the world's All, biggest. Right. All yeah. buying for your attention. Exactly. Yes, so, and, and yes. then, and then, and then of course, uh, it, let's say you are trying to monetize it. That is very difficult too, because e- you know, even with your friends, it's hard to get them to pay for your music, mm-hmm. you know? much less total strangers. And then exactly. if, you give it, if you give it away, <laughs> if you give it away straight up, like come to my website and get your free music that devalues it. There's a weird psychology. Right. To yes, free. it does. The weird psychology to free. And so that devalues it. But let, but literally if you go to Spotify, that's almost like, on your end there is a free spotify and on the artist end they're not making but fractions of fractions of pennies so it's kind of worse than free it is worse than free for for both you know what i mean like you're not getting it's on the on the free end of spotify you're having ads you don't get to select the songs you want in the order you want to hear them you're not going to the algorithm is going to largely dictate what you hear and all these other things so that's the free so that's not a great deal if you're a consumer and then uh, music like especially a fan of one band but you can't find the music anywhere else they're not streaming it on their own site it's only through spotify and then if you're on the artist end and you're you know people are millions of people from all over the world are streaming your song but you're not seeing hardly a dime of it it's just it's just a weird really weird moment for content creators i think and i guess what you're saying is really the the end is the same if artists are no longer willing to take a risk to work on a concept album to work on a new sound because they're concerned it's not going to sell or they're being told no 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 by their managers and agents and you know collaborators then we're in the same boat Exactly. And if the human artists then say st- start stonewalling the content distributors and saying, we're not going to do it because blah, 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 X, Y, Z reason, we're not going to do it. We don't feel that it's being rewarded. Then that's when they'll turn to their machines and go, well, we got to set the dial for a little bit of a change this way. And let's see, hopefully the people will buy that now. <laughs> Talking about differences, if you will, in music, could you tell us the difference between a dueling piano show and two pianists playing alongside one another uh, 
going back and forth with melodies, singing harmonies? What's the difference between okay, sure. one so, and the other? So yeah, I, I actually frequently refer to that, as, but both of them as dueling, but one is D-E-U-E-L and one is D-U-A-L. Oh, I like that. So, that's brilliant, Kevin. So, so brilliant. And, and in our industry, unfortunately, we, we for for good and for ill, there are good and bad examples of both, right? So, there so there are moments when, like for example, I have colleagues that are in the Florida area, and for whatever reason, in the setting of this particular venue that they're in, and it's been running for a very long time, so they must be doing something right. It's these two piano players, sort of more or less facing out. To, you know, side by side facing, not not facing one another, right. facing an audience, right? Okay. That that's the D U A L I N G. Okay. Show. Okay. They're literally like one guy's playing while this guy's looking through requests, and then he plays his song, and they're kind of you know harmonizing with each other, or whatever. Right. But there's not a lot of actual interaction with each other. They're not able to really make eye contact or any of that kind of stuff. Um, in a D U E L uh, I N G, a piano show. First of all, this refers to a very specific concept that was developed well original the original version stretches all the way back to new orleans and i believe it's now in its 80th year or something crazy like that but it started in a place called pat o'brien's right pat o'brien's yeah pat o'brien's on bourbon street and so the the, what i the according to legend the way it works is is that uh the men were off to war and so the women uh, were left behind to do everything, including entertain. And so they had, were these female piano players, that many of them, and they came in and they started doing this show wherein they were entertaining people while mixing them very strong drinks to distract yes. them. And, and it worked and it stuck. But now, so flash forward about, I don't know, 40 or 50 years later, uh, there were a bunch of uh, band guys, rock and rollers, you know, from all over the country, Texas, East Coast, whatever. And they sort of, you know, in, the, in a bit of parallel thinking, you know, how sometimes when you, one great idea occurs somewhere, so other people elsewhere have had that same idea mm-hmm. at that same exact time. So they kind of came together as a, as a mind and as a unit of about, well, they're called the four horsemen. So, so I think it started as these four uh, individuals. And then it kind of spread very quickly, but it was this idea of taking everything they'd learned about what people respond to about music itself in terms of, you know, the, uh, dan- getting them getting them to react through music, whether it's dance to this song, sing along to this song, whatever. And they paired that with um, uh, the exact same infantile brand of humor that we all <laughs> en- routinely <Love>. engage in. <laughs> On every gig, but we did it in our quiet voices so that the, the people in the audience maybe didn't quite hear it mm-hmm. quite all the way. Or if they did, we, we pretended like, you know, poker face, nothing happened. And, right, and, right. And we're secretly cracking up. Well, this was doing the quiet parts out loud, literally. Like this was taking everything that was, you know, implied and making it quite uh, explicit. And, and it started in this sort of steeped in this combination then of music uh, it was like th- it was like a, th- a three-pronged attack it was like music as music so these really hot talented musicians seeing great four-part harmonies and and learning the other instruments so piano players playing drums piano players playing bass piano players playing guitar sax other instruments and the pianos while you know delivering these uh show-stopping numbers like all i say like a bohemian rhapsody or whatever mm-hmm. and then taking the songs that were the crowd pleasers like the sweet 
Carolines and the Sweet Home Alabamas and those kinds of things. A lot of songs with sweet in the title made it to the cut. And uh, and so and taking those and really working on the whole uh, the very fascinating principle about music, which is like um, when when we are forming our brains and as we have these sonic experiences, it literally creates biochemical bonds, synaptic connection in the brain where then subsequent listening to that same thing is the the it does not require consciously recognizing the song the bond is triggered more quickly than conscious thought and it releases a burst of chemistry including feel-good chemicals things that make us feel good and which is the whole that's my jam like that that whole feeling mm -hmm. right um we've taken that and we've, we've laser focused and targeted and weaponized it to, to apply to a wide <laughs> variety of songs, you know, wide variety of songs and settings. And so it, it, it's, and then there was, and then there was the comedy aspect and that involved doing crowd work and really being able to read an audience and incorporate what is actually in real time happening with that audience into the show and bring it in and create relevance that would keep people there in ways that bands would not, people would, you know, for bands wander in, wander out, there, there was, it's, it's a low stakes game. You like the music, you don't like the music, you're bored, you're tired. But if you've got people and you're, you're engaging them and you're talking to them, suddenly it's, you know, the, the, they say that the, the best music of all is the sound of someone's own name, right? Right, right, right. So you learn, you learn <laughs> their name and suddenly you're talking to them and they're the star of the show and it just right. changed everything. It took the, took the camera and turned it around and it was a really interesting uh, development. And so when I first saw it I, as a band guy, I literally could not quite wrap my mind around what I was seeing because I was seeing a room filled with, you know, 300 people. And, and they, I think to their credit, they still do this. Um, they were using acoustic pianos and mm -hmm. the guy that hired me ultimately for dueling pianos, he was rocking uh, the first night I saw it live in person. He was rocking the house of 300 people playing, you know, ACDC and everybody was screaming the song at the top of their lungs. And I don't think I'd ever had a single band I'd ever been in do anything like that. Mm -hmm. Closest thing was like the Pink Floyd thing. But yeah. other, other than, I mean, so full-throated and they were just going completely mental. Right. And I was like, this is everything. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I, I had to learn at that moment. I didn't know if I was going to be any good at it, but I had to learn at that moment, what is this crazy uh, thing? So two questions. Sure. One is, um, do you think the uh, popularity of dueling pianos has something to do with the idea that people just don't want to be passive audience members anymore? They really want to participate and be part of the action. Yes, yeah, so I think that I think that for a lot of reasons. So to, to the two main reasons that come to mind are, you know, any one thing that's been done for a really long time, it, you know, goes out of fashion. So live music, as we know it, rock and roll, rock and roll. That's like, what are we on? 70 years or more, 73 yes. more years of that. So there's only so many twists of that Rubik's Cube you can go. And we've certainly seen lots ev of them. every expression yeah, right. like when, you, when you're living in right. the same world as like Bjork and Kiss as right. Bob Dylan and who like it's it's really all over the place. So we've seen in that so many. So it's really going to be hard at that point for a band to impress like, you know, and you see people trying vis-a-vis now things like costumes or whatever, thing, you know, to try to capture like a nostalgia or a vibe or whatever. And it's all understandable. But, you know, yeah. So I think that there's a certain, you know, it's been played out a little bit, just regular bands. And then the other side of it is, I think that, you know, we really have rewired our brains 
in terms of the way we consume entertainment on, on, on all platforms. And so, you know, we are living in quick, quick, quick cut times. Our quick short, cut. right. Our short attention span is no longer measured in minutes. It's in seconds or portions of seconds. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, it, it's, it, it's something I'm actually dealing with in a, another project I'm in where I did not realize even for myself, I, I mean, I'm an MTV kid for sure. But even I didn't realize how uh, even uh, much my brain has been affected and I'm dependent on this sort of constant barrage of stimulus in order to not go like, oh, you know, no, matter, no matter who it is, you know, it could be my favorite band in the world. And if I'm if they're if they're just like I saw the cars in the 80s and man, did I love the cars. But wow, was that a boring concert? <laughs> wow, like they literally just stood there, stock still, and played their way through their greatest hits, and then left. It was the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. And so, you know, I think I think that it's it's all those things, right? I, so I think, but 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 yes, the the greatest trick of it is by personalizing it and make and we and we talk about this when we do the show um, live. We you know, there's a training period at the very top of the show where you're kind of trying to express a lot of information in a very condensed period of time. And But I try to reiterate throughout the night, remember folks, we're not the show, you're the show. Mm -hmm. And I do think that that has, like when you go see the Cirque shows, you know, and they've got the entire warm-up acts are the clowns walking around the crowd. I think that's that principle, right? Or yes. or, or 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 a comic who does crowd work. I think the reason mm -hmm. they do that well, it's to draw people in. Right, yeah. right. Because you can only do so much sort of third person or first person exposition of like unspooling of your whatever it is, your music, your thoughts to people before they they start talking to their neighbor and that you know their their, their attention isn't <laughs> going to stay fixated long enough to be that. So we ha we have to get to our bolotified five, <laughs> but I have one more question: Has have you ever seen dueling pianos, D U E L I N G or D U A L I N G, fail? People. Oh my god! Oh my gosh! So badly, so catastrophically, <laughs> so 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 catastrophically. And and one time in particular, and I'll make this a very quick story: is is that it was literally back to back the greatest success of my dueling career and the worst. Really. Defeat. And it was the same uh, people behind both. So in other words, the people that hired me for the one event, <clears throat> they very accurately predicted that it would be the perfect thing for that event. And we were able to raise $25,000 for their charity. It was, it was a wonderful feeling. The very next thing was for a much bigger of a charity event, a cancer charity. And that's a subject very near and dear to my heart because my mother was a survivor. My, my lady is a survivor. <laughs> my father's a survivor. I have, have so many people in my life <laughs> that struggled with cancer and that for a variety of reasons um that just did not go well at all i think we made about what they paid us back and that was it we should wow. have made a, we should have made a million dollars do you believe that some people when people just don't feel like engaging there is nothing you can do or is there always something you can do there's almost always something you can do but not always Almost but I, always. But, but almost always. And I, I do remember that when I very first learned the gig, I had two mentors and the, one was the guy that hired me that I described playing ACDC. And he was of the mind that never say die. Like, if you don't get them this way, get them that way. If you can't do it like this, do it like that. And then the other guy was, was a, a virtuoso and he was slumming to say the very least to be among us doing this brown eyed girl thing. And I remember him doing a particularly masterful version of Bohemian Rhapsody to a very packed audience and nobody even 
clapping afterwards for some reason. Oh my god! And and he was so visibly upset. You know, he was like, he was like, you people can eat my and so like so I so I but you know I laughed and I was like, yeah. Yeah, they can eat your. But at the same time, I thought, no, I'm I'm more of the mind that there were there was another way to go. Clearly, you misread the situation somehow. Right. And so, because that's that's a song that I've seen performed abominably get a standing ovation. So I know something's amiss here. <laughs> right. Something's wrong. Something's amiss. <laughs> right. And it's not necessarily them. And yeah, you can say like, yeah, this this crowd was hard. You know, at the end of the night when you're talking talking shop, it's easy to go like, man, that crowd was hard. But it certainly, even then, is almost never like that crowd was useless. That crowd, I just wasted my time. I No, as long as you can have like a couple of people and leave with a big smile, then you've done what you came there to do. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, the only other metric of your success is what is the bar, ta- what is the tally at the bar? And you, those are things you're not totally in control of because, you know, no. the, the, the venue has to take, or the host of the event or whatever, has to take some responsibility mm-hmm. for right. the, the turnout of their thing. Right, right. So, right. But as long as what whoever you have there, if you captivate them, then, then you're good to go, you know? And we, right. built, we built an empire in Chicago on that premise because nobody used to come to that bar when we first opened it. And then it was like a couple of people. And then those couple of people were really important people. <laughs> so yes. by showing them the time of their lives, all we had to do from there was let, keep the doors open and then the rest took care of itself. And you know what? I, I You just brought up a really good point. Uh, a lot of venues make the band responsible for... <laughs> for selling drinks. In other words, if the bar, you just said it, if the bar is doing well, then the band is doing well. But the job of the band is really to keep people engaged, not to sell drinks. That's the job of the bar owner or the bartender. Uh, Just something that I felt I needed to say, because so often than not, the band gets put on the hook for people buying drinks. It's absolutely true. And yet, it's such a pervasive attitude, right? So the artists are continuously dealing with this very unfair conflation of what their real role is mm-hmm. versus their perceived yeah. their perceived role as glorified liquor vendors. Right. You know what I mean? And so right. I, that's something I've struggled with a lot, you know, because I, I really do love uh, entertaining people. I really do not love being a vendor of, of product. That's not what you studied. Right. That's, that's not, not, what, that's you not what I signed on right, for. Right. That's, that's not what, what you I signed do. on for. Not what I do, what I do. So that it's a problem. We could talk to you forever. <laughs> yes, we could. I'm not hey. even ready to end this call, but I'm getting the like move on side. Yeah, the right. So I've well, got, I, go ahead. I'll just want to take this time then to announce that this, we will now be joining together to form a new podcast. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Keep thinking that way. Oh, then I can talk about my my word. Okay. No, All right. These are the five Bellata five. I have to ask you these questions before we let you go. Sure. They get to the heart of who you are, we believe. And so our first question is, what is your, Kevin, what is your three-legged stool? The three tenants you live by. I live for my passion, not for money. I've seen people live for money. It's a dead end. Uh, I believe the future is not set. I do not believe in, I don't at all believe in everything happens for a reason or things like that, but I do believe in making a reason out of everything that has happened. Mm-hmm. And so I, in that way, I don't believe in predetermination. I believe we're in control of that outcome. And then I believe in a, a lot for me of my life is the struggle for logical and moral consistency. 
So whatever ideal I hold dear, taking that to the nth degree, even though that can be very inconvenient. Living your truth. Yes, living my truth. Mm -hmm. Living an authentic life is, I think, mm -hmm. the number one challenge facing humanity right now. Yes. I agree. It's very hard. Yeah. What is one of your daily habits you strongly believe contributes to your success? Well, I wish I could say it was like making my bed first thing in the morning, something easy like that. I because I, <laughs> I tried that, and I don't think that did it. Um, I, 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 <laughs> you were no more successful after making your bed than you no, are now. <laughs> I like, I do like seeing a made bed. It's a nice feeling, but I don't know that that is doing what I'm trying to. I, I, I think that maybe for me, it's, um, you know, especially because in this last couple of years where I lost my career and in effect kind of lost my identity lost my means of generating income, lost my identity of what, what I was supposed to be moving forward if that never returned, right? If that world right. that we knew never came back, well, what now? So I think I think that for me, I, I learned that, you know, you can be really hard, that can be very corrosive over time to like constantly second guess. And so I try to every day remind myself that in all of the areas that I'm trying to grow and learn and achieve, that I am where I'm at, um, for a variety of reasons and reasons some of which I take responsibility for not being happy about. But at the end of the day, like it's, I still have that next day to get it right. Mm -hmm. But I don't live, I don't, I do do, what is that plan for tomorrow, but live like it's your last day on earth. So it's a common, yes. it's the intersection of those two seemingly polar mm -hmm. opposites. <laughs> well, it's all a balance. Everything's right. a balance. Right. So achieving balance might have been a much shorter answer. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now that's the cliff note version. Right. <laughs> Is, is is this what you tell yourself when no one is listening or is there something else you tell yourself? Yeah, I tell myself that everything I'm experiencing, even the stuff I don't understand, like the tragic stuff, is all part of a process of really um, realizing the, the totality of, of my purpose. You know, it's not just to exist. It's not just to eat. It's not to procreate. It's not just to play music. It's not just to do any one thing. It's a process of becoming. That's what I talk about to myself. I, I, I try to talk myself through this sometimes uncomfortable wing squeezing chrysalis, you know, process of becoming thing. Mm. I, I like to say that it's it's not what happens to you in life. It's what you do about that's what it. happens to you in life. That's that's it. That's exactly right? it. Your response. That's exactly. Exactly. Right. So that's when people when, and I was in the accident I told you guys about, uh, you know, everybody's like, everything happens for a reason. Get out of here with that. Take that. Yeah. Walk <laughs> right. <You know>? Right. <laughs> No use for that. Go oh. CF. <laughs> yeah. but, what, but what you said, that is what I needed to hear. You know, that's that's what I that's where I landed after all these things would happen. Like what you said is what I ultimately finally divined, which is that we, we have to make it matter. We have to make it count. And what's the what's the last time you tried something new, Kevin? Mm. Well, I, the COVID. So uh co yes. during COVID, I thought, you know, I, well, the only other thing I've ever done professionally and well was I was a nurse. And at that time, going back into nursing represented two pretty significant barriers, challenges. One was I hadn't done it for almost 30 years. So that would have been like starting pretty much over. So that wasn't any sort of fast path to money or stability. And then the other thing was that was the height of the pandemic before there were PP, there was even PPE, much less vaccines. We had my lady's 90 year old mother living with us because she had fallen at the outset of this pandemic and she was incredibly vulnerable. And that was when people were going to nursing homes and, and suffering massive casualties. So it was not in the cards for me to go back to nursing. So I really had to, at a very fundamental and existential level, face you know the possibility that everything I had known about the last 35 years of my life was over. 
And so I um, had to really dig deep then into, so what's next? And the answer came out in the form of the animated musical I'm writing, so. Yes, you are writing an animated musical. (laughs) And that sounds delicious. I love those two words together, animated and musical. (laughs) Me too, me too. Me too. And, and it's, and you know, this is, it's what's interesting to me about it. We're talking a lot about a purpose filled life. <clears throat> My purpose in life has never been about vanity. Uh, in, in other words, I'm not trying to build the brand that is Kevin Crone. Uh, some, uh, to my detriment, probably in a lot of ways as an artist, you know, but it's I, refreshing. I have to tell you. Well, it's just like, you know, we do see a lot off a lot of that. Right. So I, I just, uh, and I've helped people build their careers. I'm, I'm the best ally for somebody else who is that way ever. Yes, I'll, yes. I'll take their enthusiasm and double down on it and, you know, turn it into solid gold. But for me, myself, I don't do that. So if this were just a vanity project of like, I want everybody to hear my songs or hear what I have to say, then I don't think I would see it through. I don't think I'd have the courage to see it all the way to the finish line. But this is not that thing. This came from a place of like, I asked the universe or my higher self or the higher power, whatever you want to call it. I surrendered and I asked, mm-hmm. what am I to do? And this came through. Mm-hmm. So to serve it, it will be my life's goal from here forward. Well, and, and honestly, that's the best okay. road to success to take when it's about the passion to tell a story or something that you feel people must hear or see or know. <laughs> and that thing is not Kevin Crone, it's the work. It's whatever you provide or process or build or, uh, or um, uh, what's the word I'm looking Compose, it's all of those things um, that will lead you to success, not the, I'm Kevin Crone and people need to hear me or know me, right? It's the right. Work. Right. I mean, you know, maybe some days I'll also spontaneously have this need to be validated in that way. But to, for me, this the, the beauty of this thing has been already has been it was made clear to me from the outset that this is going to be greater than the sum of its parts. I am mm-hmm. just I am just a vessel. I am merely meant to serve as like a as one of those uh hand pumped rail cars that takes two people pumping the handle while on the other <laughs> uh, on the other hand. On the other side of that handle, I'm on the one side, and on the right. other side is everybody in my life who is generating incredibly uh, generously of their time and talent to help me record tracks and do characters, and you know, even the people I pay, they're still imbuing this thing with a great. They, they see my vision, they feel my passion, and they're sharing theirs with me. And it's so it's 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 like it's just like it is exactly like the Pink Floyd logo prisms, in as much as. You know, we see white light. We forget we are surrounded by rainbows, right? right. So that's right. that's what the beauty of music is to me: is that it looks like it's just white light and noise, and instead, if you really dig into it, it's all still rainbows. There's still a lot there. Well, I have to say, the proof is in the pudding with yes. you because from the very first time any of us reached out to you, and this has been years now mm-hmm. that, that we've known you. Uh, for the very first call, there was a sense that you were would help us to build something you were part of a solution you were ready to get your hands dirty you were ready to jump in uh that sense has stuck with us all of these years about you because you practice what you preach yeah it is well, and you bring joy to everything you bring joy Honestly, to everything, which is for me everything Honestly, we're, Kevin. We're, did you ask the question, do I cry? Was that a plant for this moment right now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Am I doing the crying callback? <laughs> no, Thank you guys so much. That's so kind. I mean, listen, you guys have always been, 
you were the very first San Diego agency to embrace me when I announced to the world that, hey, I think I might be done with this Vegas thing. Uh, I think I turned to you guys first. You were the very, and and, and it's, it's so nice that the very first company I reached out to is the one that has had the faith and belief and still calls all these years later. That's really great. You Absolutely. guys are, you guys are, are so on, on it, you know? Well, we're also very happy that you're back in our, in our hood. Yes. Yes. Yeah, here uh, I am. We love having you back yes. in our hood. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I didn't know you were back in our hood until oh. this call. Oh no, that's not good. Well, see, that's bad. That's more of me being a bad salesman of me that's- thing. That's well, shame, 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 yeah, shame. <laughs> the last couple of years have thrown us all in a tailspin. So, yeah. uh, you know, but now we know and we're very- yeah, I'm here and, and I will play uh, the opening of an envelope. So, you know, you got that going for you. And after this, <laughs> um, after we're done with not today, but you and I have to talk because I need to rebuild uh, stuff for you so that we're, we're ready. We can really yeah. move faster. Sounds and- great. And next time we're on, we really have to hear more about big city sing-along and how that differs from dueling pianos. And we have to have you back. Yes. Oh, well, that would be my incredible honor and joy. And you guys are a delight. And I can't thank you enough. This was well worth only getting two hours of sleep for. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) Now go to sleep, damn it. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Good night. (laughs) You have one more question, though, Anthony. Oh, there was one more question. I do have one more. I do have one more. One, one, One to end up on. And that is, Kevin, how old would you be if you didn't know how old you were? I think it the perfect. I thought about this actually a lot. I, I, you know, I think a lot of people's tendency to go to the teenage years, but I think I have a little bit too much of having experienced the world from that. So as much as that would be kind of really fun to go back in that, that far, I think 25. I think I'm 25 in my heart. And if and if I could wind the, the actual clock back 28 years, the joy of that would be not only not making some of the same mistakes I did along the way, but it would give me 28 more years with my sweetheart, and that would be. Oh, you know, that's oh, God. Thing. Okay, now I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a dream come true. We, 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 Do you have a clone of you? Do you have a brother? <laughs> yes, I, I'm Kevin Crone and he's Kevin Clone. <laughs> oh, I like that. You're quick. Well, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Thank you so oh. much for having me, guys. I really thank appreciate you. it. It's so great to finally put faces and the whole, it's really wonderful. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you and I, I hope we didn't scare you with our faces. No. Have a great, no. Have a great, hey. They're seared into my retinas forever. Oh, no. Oh, no, Kevin. <laughs> you cannot unsee it now. <laughs> Thank you for joining us so much. Kevin Crone, everyone. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. Stay engaging. Hey, friends. Thank you so much for listening. We had just one little favor to ask you. In our show notes, we put a survey. We'd like to know who you are. Would you mind filling out the survey for us? Just a few short questions, that's all. Thanks. Thanks for listening.